Hello, everyone, and welcome to another episode of the Bastards of Boston Baseball. Not a whole lot going on in the last 24, 48 hours with the Red Sox, but we do have a special guest this episode from WEEI. Rob Bradford is with us. You can also uh, find his podcast, The Bradfoe Show, on Apple Podcasts, and I'm sure other apps as well, Rob. I guess. Yeah. Uh, okay. Yeah. It's, yeah it, it's, you know, I just, I just do it. I put it out there and then, then wherever it lands, it lands, but I appreciate you having me on and, and, uh, this is an awesome podcast. So, um, it's always good to talk about this sort of stuff, no matter what podcast it is, but this is a special honor. So I appreciate it. <laughs> I'm the, I'm the one that's honored. I tried to get Christopher Smith from mass live on a few weeks ago, but he was busy. So I was like, all right, I'll get someone more famous then. And, uh, <laughs> I reached out to you and again, I, I appreciate it uh, very much as well. So we'll just hit the ground running right now with the Red Sox roster nearly complete. Does it resemble anything what you might have envisioned a few months ago? Um, a few months ago, no, because I, I think that they have, um, I don't want to say nickel and dimed it a little bit more than I thought they would, because that's not fair. I think that at the end of the day, they have spent some money, but I thought that there might be one sort of big fish that we'd be talking about because you had, they had that Mookie money from last year. Uh, everyone was eagerly anticipating this off season because of it. And we knew that they were going to do things different, but the the thing that we didn't know was how they were going to approach the pandemic side of things, how they were going to deal with the economic side of things. Because one thing they didn't do this time around smartly, I guess, was tip their hand in terms of how much money they had to spend, like they did with John Henry in in the suite that day at the end of the 2019 season, saying, you know, about the luxury tax, and they were backtracking ever since he said that and you never say that you never say how much your budget is unless you have to and they really haven't and they really danced around it they said we're going to be aggressive but the same time we don't have fans um so you know i we didn't know how they were going to approach it and then we start seeing things unravel and it was really you know it was pretty telling when you hear that it was the one-year contracts it was the two-year contracts it was the 10 million under guys, you know, it's those sort of guys. And listen, I mean, that can work. It can work. But, you know, it was definitely not the George Springer, Trevor Bauer, you know, even Jake Odorizzi path that a lot of people thought they were going to take. I thought they would most likely go for a guy like Odorizzi because there's no qualifying offer attached to him. You know, it's a very inconsequential deal if they can get him at a good price. The one guy they did go with that kind of surprised me, especially given his uh, injury history, uh, is Garrett Richards. They brought him in on a one-year guaranteed deal for $10 million. That's the biggest uh, contract they've handed out. What are your thoughts on that signing? You know, I I, I think Nathan Evaldi, I think, uh, I don't want to say poor man's version, but it's, it's the same sort of idea as Nathan Evaldi where you have a guy with a high upside with injury history that hasn't really proven uh, he can put it together at least for a few years now 
but you're saying if we do this and we saw this and we do this, then we're going to get a bargain. And, um, and I think that's the way a lot of teams in baseball are going. It's not so much of what did you do for the last two years? It's what we think you're going to do, whether it's your health or whether it's spin rate or whatever it is. And I think Garrett falls under that. So, you know, there was a lot of guys, there was two guys, there was two spots, right? There was the lefty and the righty, you know, there was the once Martin Perez came off the board, Rich Hill was out, you know, that sort of deal. And then you have the Garrett Richards. Okay. Once you sign Garrett, you didn't get Kluber, you're going to get Garrett Richards. So they all fall under the same sort of idea, short-term deals, not you're not paying for certainty, but you are paying for upside. So I don't, to answer your question, I don't have a problem with it. It's fine. It's, you know, for what they got them at, I think it's a good deal, especially with the option. So uh, yeah, it's, it's just the, the, the way they went about it was, uh, wasn't again, wasn't Trevor Bauer or even like you said, Odrizzi. With the rotation, you know, in general, you mentioned Nathan Avaldi. Definitely some perform, uh, excuse me, durability issues with him. Uh, Eduardo Rodriguez, not really sure what to expect there. A lot of rust coming off of a health issue. I mean, is durability a concern? Because, I mean, if a couple of these guys go down early and they're going to be on the DL for several weeks, or IL, I should say, I mean, are you nervous at all? Well, it's a good point because, you know, it's, you know, they, they have, they have, obviously they have more depth than he did a year ago. You know, they have, you, you go down the list of guys that uh, Matt Andres, even the rule five kid, Garrett Whitlock, you know, there's, there's, they have a lot of guys that can fill in the gaps and that's their idea. That's, that's the way that teams are doing it now, which is you just, you load up on these guys, you know, it's a long season, so forth and so on. But at the same time, I do think that you you have to – I keep saying this, but it's okay to pay for certainty sometimes. Sometimes you have to pay for certainty, right? Right, right. I mean, and, and I think teams that don't understand that get burned. And I can go with the Red Sox. There's plenty of examples of this. Um, you know, after Lester left, you had the five aces. We think <laughs> Masterson, Kelly, Buckholtz, um, uh, who am I missing? Miley. Um, Porcello and some, you know, unmiley, you know, we can make the case that all of these guys are going to take the next step and be the top of the rotation guys, but certainly you weren't certain of it. And then you had to pay for the certainty you had to pay for Davis. And ultimately you have to pay in, in, in prospects for Chris sale <clears throat> um, with, with a DH, you know, we think that, or t- Ortiz's, Ortiz leaves that these other guys are going to step up. Well, they don't. So you have to pay for the certainty that it's J.D. Martinez. To your point, with the innings, you know, I think that, you know, this might be one of those cases. We might say you have all this depth, but I've seen it plenty of times where you go into a season and say you have all this depth, and then all of a sudden you're sitting there in June and, and you, you're running out guys who don't deserve to be in the major leagues. So, you know, I think it is it is a good topic. Yeah, I mean, if we don't see a guy like Matt Hall or Ryan Weber, then I think things probably, you know, <laughs> we, we lucked out. 
But uh, another big story that just kind of came out of nowhere this week, the Red Sox not only made a trade with the Yankees, it, it was a meaningful trade, you know, much more than the uh, Stephen Drew deal uh, six years or so ago. They acquired Adam Ottavino. How surprised were you when when you found out about that deal? I, I was really surprised. I mean, for the obvious reason, number one is that you know you have a couple years ago where you know you can talk about the track record of Cashman not making trades with the Red Sox and, and the Stephen Drew, the big Stephen Drew Kelly Johnson trade, like you mentioned, you know, like that being the last one in 2014. But you also have Brian Cashman. I was there in Arizona at the GM meeting saying, "Yeah, we're talking to every team but the Red Sox." Like that is a very real dynamic. So when it happens, yeah, I was surprised. And then when it, when you get back out of Vino and a prospect, I'm like, who did they give up? Who did they give up? You want to know. And then you realize they really didn't give up anybody. And it's a, it's a money thing. So on both those levels, I was surprised. Um, but you know, I, I don't know how you feel, Terry, but I like, I, the way that I looked at it of all these deals, like you, Garrett Richards, Kike Hernandez, um, you know, Andres, all, all these guys. This one was the one where I said, okay, I, I, I tip my hat to, to high and bloom on this because he, we talk, we hear about doing things outside the box. We hear about doing things that might be risk-taking. We hear about those sort of things, but it's all words until you do something. This was along those lines. This was, this was, this was something that not only was out of the ordinary, but it is a risk. I mean, and then you have the quote from him, which was, I'm going to paraphrase of saying, you know, we're not going to be scared. We're not going to play scared. I mean, that was, that was the quote of the off season, not even close. And so that was the moment where you like, people could get behind, behind Hein Bloom a little bit. And, you know, I made this analogy and, and maybe I, I totally dated myself with it. You can maybe tell me. But I used to remember those those computer generated photos, which you stare at, you stare at, you stare at, until you see the sailboat. You know, it's <laughs> you just like keep you have to stare at it until you see it. And that's what I felt like this was. We're staring at what he's doing. Like what? What? Oh, I see it. Okay, there you go. Like okay, now we're on the trolley. So uh, yeah, so I thought that was a pretty telling telling deal. Yeah, and the bullpen really hasn't – I think that's been the least area of need. You know, we've discussed the rotation, and the outfield is is now taking shape with the addition of Hernandez, assuming he'll he'll play out there. I, I kind of have a little bit more faith in, in Christian Arroyo at second than most people. And, you know, first base, I feel like, is a little thin if you're going with Dahlbeck and – Chavis because either of those guys could have to get optioned at some point, you know, if their strikeouts are, you know, through the roof. So the the bullpen did kinda uh surprise me that they they landed a you know a big fish like that. So um I guess, you know, sticking with the bullpen with the Ottavino acquisition in mind. What do you expect the seventh, eighth, and ninth innings to look like? Who, who are going to be the regular guys to to see time in those innings? 
I, I think, well, first of all, I think they're going to get another guy somewhere along the line. And I, I mean, I, I couldn't tell you who it is. And I know Workman's name is out there, but that's, you know, there's, he's one of a, a million. Um, and who is going to be the guy? Uh, it's, it's, I think it's going to be a work in progress because we go back a couple years ago. The last time we said, well, well Matt, that didn't really work out as planned. And really, you know, that was one of the lessons I think Alex Cora learned, right? Which was, I'm going to bring Matt Barnes in at the most important times. That was going to be the deal. That was the new way of doing things. And then you realize you can't do that because what happens is that Matt Barnes ends up pitching against the meat of the order every single time. And there's no closer in the history of the world who does that. You know, it's like you pitch the ninth inning, but sometimes you get the bottom of the order. Sometimes you get the top of the order. So I, I think that I think that you are going to see a version of that where you you maybe rotate guys in. You have Ottavino, you have Barnes. Brazier pitched really really well last year for the most part. Um, you know you have Darwin's and Hernandez sitting there. So to answer your question, you know like I think that you know the easy one is say okay well there you go there's Barnes he's going to be the guy, but. I, I don't know if they're going to lock in on a guy. And I, like I said, I do think that they're probably going to get one other arm. Yeah. I, what are your thoughts on Hernandez? Because a, a lot of people seem to think he could be the closer of the future. And we had Kimbrell for, I think, what was it, f- four seasons? No, three seasons. And, you know, he was the longest tenured guy since Papelbon. Do you think Hernandez could – you know, be that next guy, or at least the guy to see most of the high leverage, you know, in the end, however they utilize him. Yeah. I think with, with him, it's, it's, I think we're putting cart before the horse a little bit with him and it's only human nature where we, you know, in, in, in multiple ways, by the way, where you saw what he did when he came up. Okay. You can be a high leverage reliever. Okay. Now we go into last year. One of the high leverage relievers. Obviously, the COVID stuff derailed it to a certain point, but you know he has to prove that he can be that guy. He still has to. I mean, his stuff is great, strikes out a ton of guys, has a lot of promise. But to me, this is a show me year for him, absolutely. And you know the, you know the, and you got to basically say this is what you are. You know, enough of the last year they dabbled and they were dabbling in the starting thing with him. He's not a starter. He's not. Because you talk to anybody and they'll say, you know, this, some guys are just built for this. It's okay. It's okay to be Dylan Batances. It's all right. And so, uh, you know, we have to go out to say, this is your, this is what you are. You're a seventh, eighth, hopefully a ninth inning guy, but you have to go out and prove it. And you know what? You can't just say, we got this guy and we don't need anybody else. Because once again, he's a young guy and he hasn't proven it quite yet. Well, hopefully with, you know, a, a regular spring training and, a, you know, a, a conventional start to the year, he'll get off on the right foot and finally start to prove it. And that kind of leads me to my next question. Uh, we've heard in the last week and a half or so, Cactus League officials out in Arizona are seeking to delay the season. 
And Manfred has already said it's going to be 162 games, and there's complications involved with that because they have to get approval from the Players Association to to delay the season, and they don't seem to want to. How do you think it's going to play out with just a couple more weeks left until players start to report? Well, you know, I, I think they'll they'll try to start on time. They'll try to do. They'll tell everyone to hunker down, but you know whether it's Arizona, which is really bad right now, or Florida, which is you know it's sort of compared to say Massachusetts, it's the Wild West. Um, you know, I, I think that they they better brace themselves. And and I, I got to be honest, honest, you know, like I I really wish they would push it back a month. And I understand why they aren't. I want to understand what the players want to play a full season, but with the timeline that we're living in with the vaccine and, and everything else, and hopefully cases going down a little bit, you know, I, and th- this, it seems like all the sense in the world to push this back a, a, a month, but they won't. And um, I think, I think they'll try to play because it's business and they'll try to play, but you know, but you know, this, we got through last year and they, I give them a ton of credit last year. You remember, I mean, everyone panicking on 4th of July weekend, we're never going to get through this. We're never going to get through this. Well, just ride it out, ride it out, ride it out. But you don't want to. You don't want to begin the year where you have this chaos. Um, but they'll to answer your question. They'll try. They'll try. I mean, I'm not going. Not for a while, anyway. <laughs> but uh, but they'll they'll try. That's okay. I, I'll I'll do the Zoom call from my living room for the time being. Yeah, I think with this season, I mean, if worse comes to worse, and they they do delay it, they'll at least have more flexibility on the back end because the uh, the vaccine will be, you know, more highly yeah. distributed and and whatnot. Uh, all right. So I guess the, the final question here, um, assuming that it's going to be 162 games one way or the other, how many wins would you give the Red Sox at this point based on the roster we have? Uh, yeah, I mean, it's, you know, I, I'm going to say 88, wow. 88 wins. Like, that might be high. I, I, You know, it's like I always t- – and that's the first time I always usually say, well, listen, you know, what you have to understand is that they still pay money. I mean, they're a $200 million payroll team. They have talent. There's just so much uncertainty, and and which is fine. You know, everything could break the right way. But the problem is, is that you look at the teams in division now, you know, and you have the Yankees, they're going to be good. You have the Blue Jays who are absolutely loaded now. And even the Rays, like, whatever, you can get rid of Snell. You can't convince me that they aren't, <laughs> they aren't going to figure out a way. So, um, you know, I, I could be wildly wrong. This is the most unpredictable year and the most unpredictable offseason the most unpredictable start of the season like we've ever had ever. And because not only because of the stuff that we've talked about, because you go down the list, you know, sale Avaldi, um, JD Martinez, Raphael Devers, you know, Alex Verdugo. Can he do it again? The new guys, um, you know, Bobby Dahlback, you know, you're banking on him at first base, you know, all of this, there's so much uncertainty with this team right now. So the, I try to answer your question, but Terry, I can tell you, I have the least amount of confidence. I'm wrong a lot, 
And I, I'll tell you what, in this case, I, I feel like at least this time I am going to go into admitting saying I'm probably going to be wrong. Yeah, I want you to be right in the worst way. I think that's in everybody's best interest, you know, for people who create content and whatnot. You know, the better the team is, the better off we are. Here's my thing about Bloom. I want to like him a lot, and I, I liked the hire, and, you know, I I think they could definitely use a different approach, but but we've seen four championship teams built by three different executives, and, you know, this team doesn't, you know, resemble what those teams did. So I hope it works out. I think there's a high likelihood he he could be at odds with the fan base for a while until it does start working out. But Oh, yeah. There's no no question about that. Like, there's no question about that. I mean, and and that's the big part of this is that you're right. I mean, this is a very, very different way of doing it. We haven't seen a way of doing this. The, the market correction for bad Red Sox teams was always easy. You know, it's Dave Dombrowski saying, we're going to get a closer uh, in a trade, and we're going to get a, a an ace in, a, in free agency. Here comes David Price and Craig Kimbrell. You know, oh, Chris Sale's available? We're going to go after him. There you go. Like all of it. You know, so it, it, was, it, it was very simple. We've never gone through anything like this. Even in 2013, when, you know, I know people have brought that up, where you're like, instead of going after the Josh Hamiltons of the world, you got Victorino and, and Napoli and Ross and, and Dempster and those sort of guys. But think about those guys compared to these guys. I mean, those guys were, are, were stars. And by the way, they were three-year contracts. Victorino was, Napoli was supposed to be. I mean, those guys were proven major leaguers in their 30s. You know, a lot of these guys that they got are like, let's cross our fingers about them. So not to hijack your your take, but I think you're absolutely right. Yeah. And in the back of my mind, you know, maybe maybe we'll start to see him flex his muscles after next season when, you know, Martinez comes off. The price money will be gone finally. Pedroia will actually be off after this coming season. And and some of our higher end guys will will be up, you know. So hopefully we'll start to look like the Dodgers now a little bit, you know, by that point. But but all those other executives won championships in their second or third years as the as the GM or vice president, whatever their titles were. So so like I said, I, I want it to work, um, and and hopefully it does, but. This isn't. I actually asked on Twitter. I challenged my followers to say, "What was a worse team going into the season based on expectations outside of 2020?" And all of them went back to the 1990s. They had to go that far back. So the optimism <laughs> at the moment isn't great. But if the stars align, and and hopefully they will. I mean, all these guys have played well at some point in their career, and if they can pull it all together and have the chemistry, you know, maybe we'll have something. The American League isn't that strong, so so there's there's the there's the optimism, I guess. But anyway, for the listening audience, uh, <laughs> that'll about do it. Uh, Rob, I appreciate you uh, coming on for a few minutes, and um, you know, for everyone listening right now, we'll be back as things continue to develop. Maybe a workman signing. Moreland's name's been brought up. If Bauer finally signs, we'll come on to cover that. So uh, we'll see you then. <laughs>